When I moved from, our family moved from Southern California to Tampa, Florida, my parents decided to put us in an Episcopal school. This was a dramatic shift from my tree-hugging suburban LA elementary school that I went to. We had to wear uniforms. We had to go to these specialized classes like spelling and Florida history. I didn't see much need for them. And then we had to go to chapel two days a week. So everything was different about the chapel. I, we went, had gone to a congregational church. It was very casual. And the person that stood before us said his name was Father. Father Hammond. I, I didn't know, and he had like the robe, but also the, the collar on. Very formal. There were acolytes that brought in candles, and they lit them. It was very cool to be one of the students that got to do that. And then every week on Thursday, we had communion. And it was, we had to walk forward, and we shared a cup. Like all 200 of us, the cup went out. Wipe, cup, wipe. Can you even imagine post-COVID? And I just remember that first time I had that wine. And it, as I walked back to my, my seat, it just burned all the way down. I loved it. I was destined to be married to a wine guy. It was fantastic. So then we get to the Lord's Prayer. And although everything had been so different, I was like, I got this. And then we go, and forgive us our debts. And you hear, <gasps> everybody looks at me. Debts? We say trespasses here. Have, how many of you have been that person at the wedding or funeral where you're the one saying it wrong? And then you think, no, actually, you're wrong. Because we say debts and debtors in my tradition. So I wonder, is one wrong or one right? Today, we're focusing on knowing some songs that we want to know the meaning of. And this is a question I get asked all the time. Which one is right and what does it really mean? Does debt, what does debts mean versus trespasses? And then you might have those few Baptists and non-denominationals that say sins and sinners. You know, which one is it? So that's what we're going to do today. We are going to dive into this specific verse in the Lord's Prayer and see what does it really mean and what does, why does Jesus include it in the first place? To help us with that, we're going to look at both Matthew's version and Luke's version. That's where it is in the Gospels. But before we do that, will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, I thank you that while we change and our views change and our interpretations change, and the world changes, God, that you stay the same. We're so grateful that we have this word before us, this, this living word that breathes and offers insights, new and exciting. And I pray that as we dive into this one little verse in your big, huge Bible, that it would offer new insight for us, that would give us life and life abundant. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're actually going to put up on the screen both versions next to each other, and I'm going to kind of talk through them. So first you've got Matthew at 6 and then Luke at 11. And the prayer really starts the same way in both Gospels. Jesus is speaking to a crowd. He says, pray then in this way. They ask, how are we supposed to pray? And he says, this is what you need to do when you pray. Say, Father, over here you have our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name is the same in both. 
your kingdom come, and then Matthew adds, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just from these two, you can see we, we use our prayer, we use both. We say our Father, or this one just says Father. Then it gets a little bit different in the next section. Give us each day our daily bread. And then it says in Matthew, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And Luke says, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. So in, in Luke, you've got sins and debts together. Do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Do not bring us to the time of trial. But then Matthew adds these verses. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to ask you to put it back to that other slide, please, Landon, so I can talk a little bit about those two differences. So for our purposes today, we are going to simply look at verse 12 in Matthew and verse 4 in Luke. In Matthew, you've got forgive us our debts. And then in a further explanation, the one that was down in verse 14, he includes the trespasses. In Luke, you've got sins. Three different Greek words, all in this text. The first is debts, and the Greek word there means to owe something to someone. It's not just a literal term. It's not just a financial term. It's also, like many words in Scripture, it's going to be a metaphorical. So it might be that you owe someone an apology. It might be that you owe someone more of your time. And then the next one you have is trespass, and the literal word here means to fall down, to slip. It's this image of of falling from something, whether it be from a relationship that you've trespassed, a commitment that you've made. And the last one, the last Greek word there is, is this, the word sin. And this Greek word comes from an archery term. And so I want you to imagine an archer drawing back the bow and it releases, but the bow, the arrow does not make it. The arrow misses the mark. That's what to sin means. It means to miss the mark. We are aiming to be in right relationship with God and with others, but we continue to miss the mark. These are solid words. Sin, trespass, debt, they're all there. They're all in scripture. So let's just go ahead and say none are right, none are wrong. If you thought you were better because you said debts, you're not. Or for those of you that are listening online or in here and you thought because you said trespasses or that's how your home church taught you to do it, you were better, you're not. Or for those of you that said sins, you're not. They're all in scripture. They're all okay. I wonder, why do you think that we say it as Presbyterians? Have you ever, because when we've been that solo person that says debts, because this is what makes one of the many things that makes us unique is that we are the only Protestants that say debts, debtors. Episcopalians, Methodists, Lutherans, and then all the Catholics, they all say trespasses. So where, where did we get it from? Well, we owe this to a man named William Tyndale. William Tyndale, in the year 1526, became the first person in the history of the world, to translate the Bible from its original languages, Greek and Hebrew, into English. Other people had translated it into English, but they had used the Latin. They had translated it from Latin 
into English. So this man is the first person to do this. And you must know that he did this completely illegally. He was doing this during the time of Henry VIII, and Henry VIII absolutely forbid anybody trying to translate the Bible in a way that was contrary to the Church of England. And for some reason, no commentators know, when Tyndale was translating the Greek into the English, he didn't like the word debts. And so he translated it as trespass. And that is why most of the world uses it, is because that is how the common book of prayer was written, and that's how most of the world has maintained it. So you're like, okay, well then what happened with the Presbyterians? Well, it got the word, the actual text got to Scotland, which is where the Presbyterian church originated. And when, pe when the original churches in Scotland were translating Tyndale's version, there were some words in the Gospels that didn't translate to Scottish culture. They didn't understand trespass, but they understood debts. And that is why, to this day, we use the word debts in our Lord's Prayer. is because it, that's how the Scots translated Tyndale's version, and that's what they preferred, and that's it. But what you need to know about Tyndale is that he suffered so much for taking this and for doing this illegally. And he was imprisoned, harshly imprisoned, for 18 months and then was burned at the stake for doing against what the king had ordered. So why did Jesus include this? I think that when we look at a verse like this, this is a perfect example of how we tend to focus on what's different amongst us as opposed to what unifies us. We have this tendency to do that. We, but when we look at whether it's debts, sins, or trespasses, it's all the same what Jesus is asking us to do. Jesus is asking us to think about forgiveness. And what does forgiveness, why is, that, why is it included? Why is that something that every day we are supposed to come before God and ask God's forgiveness for our sins or trespasses or debts, and then we're also supposed to do this for other people. I think Jesus knew the importance of forgiveness on how it would, we would live our lives and how it could impact the world if we truly got it. One theologian reminded me that the petition does not read this way. Forgive us our debts or sins or trespasses if we trespass. Forgive us our sins when we trespass. No, it's stated as a fact, a daily prayer. It assumes a need that we all have. Matthew's version reads this way, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. There is a possibility in the way you read Matthew's version to think that, you know, God's forgiveness is contingent upon how much we forgive others. In other words, God might not forgive us if we haven't truly forgiven others. This is not true. God's forgiveness is not contingent upon anything we do. It's not like God's like, oh, will she, will she, will she, okay, she did, okay, she's forgiven. That's not how God's forgiveness works. I wonder if most of us are able, or we think we are able to accept God's forgiveness for us, and what we really struggle with is being able to give forgiveness to other people. I have a feeling, though, 
that the reason we struggle with get, forget, giving forgiveness to other people is because we have not truly accepted God's forgiveness for ourselves. Because when one accepts God's forgiveness, realizing the depth of what that means, it is inextricably tied to a response. We must forgive others because even when they don't deserve it, neither did we. And now it would be foolish of me and it would be hurtful to suggest that if you sit down and you pray the Lord's Prayer, that like suddenly forgiveness, oh, you've arrived. Forgiveness does not have a timetable. I was privileged to hear this lived out with this phenomenal story right here in this sanctuary in March of 2020 at our Presbytery meeting right before we went into shutdown. The Presbytery had invited Reverend Sharon Fisher to come and teach us. Now, she came for a couple of reasons. One, she was a graduate from Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary. The other is that she was this African-American woman who had an amazing story to share. Her mother and two of her cousins were three people of the 11 that were killed in the, the shooting at Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston. Do you all remember that from several years ago? And so she stood before us to share her story. And honestly, I didn't know what to expect. And she stood up there and, and she spoke of how within a few days of the shooting, she was walking around her apartment and she was smoking a cigarette and she made us all laugh. She said, don't judge me for smoking. And, and she said she had the TV on and she hadn't been able to get to Charleston to be with her family. And in Charleston, there was the bond hearing for the white supremacists that had gone in to this church and joined in a Bible study. And then when they stood up to pray together, he unleashed fire and killed all of these people. So at the bond hearing, all of the family members of the victims are given this opportunity to speak to him. And she hears her sister stand up and tell this man, you know, you took my mom from me and I will never have any more days with her, her but I forgive you. And Reverend Fisher stood before us and she said, I was so angry at my sister. It had only been a few days. We are still processing this awful grief and she's already ready to forgive him. And she said, I am a woman of the cloth and I can't even forgive him yet. She said, forgive him? We haven't even had time to process. Forgiveness is an ongoing process. Some folks are able to quickly forgive others. It's like they can sprint there. And then for those like me, it is more like a crawl. Claire in our podcast this week gave a beautiful image of what forgiveness is like. She said, forgiveness is a direction I am facing. It's like you choose, I'm going to face in the direction of forgiveness as opposed to away from it. But what we need to understand is that way that you face looks different for everyone. Because we are part of a community of faith I, of faith, I would go so far as to say we face in the direction of forgiveness together. No one alone. You see, when Jesus teaches the prayer, when he begins the petitions, all of them are in the plural. It says, give us this day our daily bread. And then it says, 
forgive our debts as we forgive those that we are indebted to. We, our, us. Listen to how Karl Barth wrote about it in his essay on the Lord's Prayer. He said, it is the us of the fellowship which unites people together at the same time as they are united with Jesus Christ. When we pray that Lord's Prayer, it is uniting us with one another as we are united with Christ. Now, I know this feels so contrary to our rugged individualism that we, we it almost, as I've reflected on it, it almost felt like crossing of boundaries. Like, you deal with your stuff, I'll deal with mine. This seems, you know, a little codependent of us. But there is a lot to being a follower of Christ that is counter-cultural. We are all part of the body of Christ. All of us are children of God and heirs with Christ. Scripture tells us this. And as a unified community, we pray for one another. And may it be your debts, they become mine. And my debts become yours. Our current cultural context encourages us to be voracious readers and watchers and consumers of content. Amen? And, and then after we consume the content, we're supposed to make judgments about it and tell everybody about those judgments. I found myself doing this so much this past week. When I listened to an open forum of a local school board, when I read comments on a Facebook post about that local forum of the school board, when I listened to a podcast on leadership, every single one of those, I sat in my comfortable seat of judgment. It felt so good. It felt sometimes the seat of judgment, the lack of forgiveness, it actually gives you a place to feel like you have a seat. It feels safe. But I missed the mark, y'all. I missed the mark this week. Because God calls us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute, to forgive as we have been forgiven. Forgiveness is not contingent. God's forgiveness towards us is not contingent on how we forgive others. But when we truly have accepted the forgiveness of God, we cannot help but forgive others, even if they don't deserve it. And there's no one way to do this forgiveness thing. Some sprint, some crawl. But as a community, we face forgiveness together. And so this week, I want to sit in a different seat. It doesn't feel good to sit in the seat of judgment. I want to sit in the seat of amazing, undeserved grace that cannot help but offer the same to others. May it be so in my life and in yours. Amen.